they're fundamentally in that respect interdisciplinary, even if they're being developed primarily by scientists and engineers. It's really important that other people get involved because of the way in which technologies shape our lives. Sort of in the same way that you don't need to know how transistors are working to know that scrolling on like social media is deteriorating your mental health or is like polarizing society. I don't think you need to know how qubits work or like quantum mechanics works to feel that you can have a say in what quantum computers are getting used for. What, what I'm doing is tradition, you know, we are continuing the tradition. As the world evolves, you know, technology evolves and our approach to create things also evolves. The idea for quantum computers was first developed in the early 1980s, but it's been mostly hypothetical since then. However, recent innovations have led to some of the first technologies that could truly be called a quantum computer. Quantum represents a major advancement in computing speed and complexity. It's a technology that could change the world and the way we interact with it. As with any emerging cutting-edge science, it's not an easy thing to understand if you aren't a specialist. But it's important that the public is aware of quantum advancements and how it could impact their lives and livelihoods. One way we can start engaging with quantum thinking is to look at the interplay of quantum and the arts, where artists are playing with quantum computers and quantum ideas, asking big questions about how it all fits into our world. That's the subject of Living in a Quantum State, a new initiative from the Goethe Institute and the inspiration for this special episode. You're listening to Talking Culture, a Futures podcast. Through fascinating interviews with thinkers and doers in the arts and culture sector, this show investigates how creative fields are emerging from the tumultuous present into the future. From the Goethe Institute London, this is a podcast about the critical role and value that arts and culture have in our societies. I'm your host, Lucy Rowan. Our focus in this episode is the intersection of arts and quantum technology. But before we get into the weird and exciting projects being created around the world, we need a primer on quantum technology. To help me wrap my mind around quantum, I spoke to Emily Howarth, a master's student currently studying quantum science and technology in Munich. So quantum computing is sort of looking at computing in a totally fundamentally different way. And so in the way that computers are using bits, so we know them to be like in binary, either zero or one, quantum computers are using qubits. So these are sort of quantum systems instead, and they behave and they play by like quantum rules instead of the classical rules that we're used to in our everyday lives. So in the sense that if you throw a ball, you can know from classical rules exactly where it's going to be, how fast it's going. If you know sort of the starting conditions in quantum, that's not necessarily the case. And you can't, for example, know both its position and its momentum at the same time precisely. Don't worry if this doesn't make any sense to you right away. Let's try and think about it this way. Imagine you're a scientist on an interstellar mission You understand the rules of Earth biology and physics, but when you land on this strange planet, you discover those rules don't apply anymore, and a totally different set of rules has to be identified if you want to understand and predict how life progresses on the new planet. 
Broadly speaking, that's the difference between classical and quantum computing. They operate off a different set of fundamental rules. In terms of developing the technology, we're at an early stage. We understand the rules pretty well, but we haven't figured out how to consistently harness them to solve problems like we do so well with classical computers. And when I say classical computing, I mean the computers we're used to, the ones that generate algorithms, predict weather patterns, keep our streetlights operating at the right times, and so on. And so these kind of rules start to come in, and it's then looking at actually harnessing those and using those actively. So we have past quantum technologies that these quantum phenomena happen in, but we never control them. This quantum computing is when we're actually trying to control it for the first time. And that's what this is all about, to try and sort of get a new type of computing that would be sort of used in addition to classical. So it would be sort of this add-on that can do problems that we haven't been able to do before. Not every problem, but maybe some of them, and it could be really interesting. But we aren't on an alien planet. So where did these different rules come from? It's just how nature operates, but it's only in times that we don't normally come across in our everyday lives as we're walking down the street. We don't really notice it. So it's when you get really, really cold or really, really small. And we're talking like small than atoms kind of idea, you know. So we didn't make up quantum rules. They were always there in nature. We just didn't have the ability to observe or interact with them until quantum computing was created. So that's one of the best use cases of quantum technology would be to better understand nature and quantum systems themselves. So it's kind of the idea that in the same way classical computing really, really took off once we actually had a computer, we expect probably the same for quantum computing, that we'll begin to understand it on a whole new level once we actually have a quantum computer itself. A fault-tolerant quantum computer, I should say. At the moment, we have ones that are working, but there's no real like practical advantage to them over classical. So it's pretty cool. Like you can, I've myself have run things on an actual quantum computer. It's a really great experience to be able to actually have that access. But there's not really much that can do that's better than classical right now. We can't do too many things with quantum technology yet. But looking forward into the future, five or ten years ahead. What could it do once it's more developed? So in general, if you're in a field where you're using natural sciences, like chemistry and biology and physics, or if you're working with computations that are just seeming to take like too long and you know, huge amounts of time or huge amounts of memory, then this quantum computing has a real chance of impacting your field. Um, and then obviously advancements in those fields would likely impact everybody. So these kind of things at the moment are looking to be like, I mean, big ones are finance, but also then materials, like optimizations and logistics, these kind of things. So at the moment, there's real, like a lot of people working really, really hard to sort of bring more people into the field because I think there's a lot of people that would be really interested in how it is working. And there's a lot of um, sort of platforms for people to learn about it more. And like there's all sorts on YouTube and or like, there's sort of programming languages you can learn. And these are all about getting people to be quantum engineers or software, quantum software developers, which is obviously amazing. And we will definitely, definitely need more people in the field as it progresses. But I think there's a lot of people that just want to know one or two things and it's just more for their own interest. But also 
sort of in the same way that you don't need to know how transistors are working to know that scrolling on like social media is deteriorating your mental health or is like polarizing society. I don't think you need to know or you shouldn't need to know how qubits work or like quantum mechanics works to feel that you can have a say in what quantum computers are getting used for. And that's something we should really work on in the field, I think. We need to like learn from past mistakes in technology, development of technology, to really sort of stay on top of these so-called unintended consequences and be able to sort of call them out. That's something that the general public can really get and should really get involved in. I don't think you need to know quantum mechanics to have a general intuition of where quantum computers could be used. You can maybe see it in your own field or you can just sort of call it out and then when you hear potential use cases being thrown about and these are like where the resources are going. And so we can, so I think there should be more of a feedback loop of like quantum scientists are saying, oh, we want to create this for society. We want a better society with it, but there's no real dialogue going on with society. I think that can definitely be improved. And I think that's something that people, it would be great if they can actually get involved with that and sort of have enough of an intuition to say, that sounds great to me. That doesn't sound so good. If you still don't have the faintest idea what quantum actually is or does at this point, that's okay. Like Emily said, it's not necessary for us lay people to fully grasp the science but it is important for us to be aware of its developments and the ways that it is impacting our societies. And that finally brings us to the arts, a place where we can ask big questions about things we don't fully understand, a place where we can imagine different futures. To find out more about the role and work of artists when it comes to quantum computing, I spoke to Lucy Rose Sollett, a thinker, researcher and curator with a background in philosophy and an interest in how art is shaped by technology. Lucy came to quantum technology through the Goethe Institute project, Living in a Quantum State. The project aims to foster dialogue around the use of quantum technologies in today's society through the lens of art. Lucy was tasked by the Institute with mapping the current state of quantum and the arts. I asked Lucy why it's important to engage the public in the quantum discussion, She highlighted the impact quantum computers will have on everyday people. They have the potential, if they do happen, to really uh, influence so many different areas of our lives. They're fundamentally, in that respect, kind of interdisciplinary, even if they're being developed primarily by scientists and engineers. It's really important that other people get involved because of the way in which technologies shape our lives. And I think if we wanted to look back at an example of how we've seen that's important, you could look at artificial intelligence and the development of that and how implicit bias can be built into systems and not picked up until it's actually out there and doing harm and really affecting people's lives. That happened, for example, with the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence in policing in the US or when you're going through customs at a border control and who is being picked out of the line uh, or not depending on what is seen to be a normative facial characteristic these kind of things are really really important they affect these technologies affect our you know our everyday lives in, in often kind of unseen and unexpected ways 
And I think the more broader, the the biggest range of people, the biggest range of kind of perspectives and insights that you can have kind of being brought into these fields, the better, because it's going to kind of help potentially deal with things like this implicit bias and so on. It's important for artists and thinkers to engage now, to ask questions about the technology now. We don't need to wait until unintended consequences show up. Non-scientists can help quantum from the start by interacting with it in its early stages. What's really exciting um, and something that artists have a particular role to play in is um, around considering the philosophical implications of these technologies and of the physics that they're based on. So you hear scientists talk about the fact that these uh, that quantum physics is often really, really hard to describe. It's often seen as being very strange and, and it's really difficult to kind of encapsulate in, in kind of plain language or in, in words. I think there's a real role here for artists to explore then how to bring alive the implications of what quantum physics tells us in more kind of poetic ways. And I think in doing that, uh, the artist can also challenge the kind of dominant narratives that are surrounding the development of quantum technologies. One is kind of economics and profit, basically, surprise, surprise. And the other one is kind of geopolitical interests and in particularly military use and kind of cyber warfare and that kind of thing. And there are other kind of more positive, perhaps, <laughs> narratives shaping the development of these technologies. As you might imagine, there aren't that many artists working with quantum. As we've heard, the first quantum computers have only just become a reality and access to those computers is limited. But there are a few visual artists doing interesting work in this area. One of them is Libby Henney, who's based in London in the UK. And her work is interesting because it both kind of brings alive quantum physics, but it also is exploring the ethics too. And Libby is one of very few artists who are actually directly working with quantum computers and using them in the creation of her art. So she's done things like creating an artwork within the vacuum that, that exists within a quantum computer. She's also fed images that she's drawn freehand and fed them into a quantum computer to see how they come out the other side and to kind of show the kind of what happens when the images pass through. Libby holds a PhD in quantum information science and has published scientific papers on the emerging technology. So she approaches her visual art with a deep understanding of quantum physics. In her recent installation, Ent, she used quantum to reinterpret Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights. The viewer sees the quantum reinterpretation of this 500-year-old painting as moving projections on four walls, creating an immersive and unpredictable viewing experience. Another artist who will be involved in, in quantum states is Susan Trister. And Susan Trister is a bit of a kind of visionary media artist. She actually did a residency at CERN a few years ago and is really being um, really quite playfully and imaginatively exploring the the scientific research that's underway in places like CERN and kind of bringing alive the more speculative and imaginative side of science and the practice and processes of scientists. 
CERN is the European Organization for Nuclear Research in Switzerland, famous for its particle accelerators. But they also have a quantum technology initiative, which in 2021 unveiled its first long-term quantum research project. To give you an idea of the playful nature of Trister's work, one of the pieces she produced during her residency is called The Holographic Universe Theory of Art History. With it, Trister explores the theory that our universe could be a vast and complex hologram. Some other artists that have been really inspired by the findings of quantum physics and what it tells us are black quantum futurism. And they've been particularly looking at the idea of kind of quantum temporalities and what what the quantum idea of time, which offers an alternative to linear time, which is, you know, very embedded within colonialism and, and various different structures. And they've been really kind of trying to think about the fact that what quantum time suggests is that the past, present and future are all kind of all encapsulated together at once and happening kind of at once. And they are really looking at how can that open out different ways of thinking about the future and reclaiming it. So, as you can see, artists are already engaging with quantum technology at different levels. Some are inspired by the science and make art in response to these new findings. Others, like Libby Heaney, are actually using quantum computers to generate visual art. Our next guest uses quantum technology to create new and exciting sounds, expanding the possibility for quantum-generated music. Oh, hello. I am, I am Eduardo Miranda. I am a professor in computer music at the University of Plymouth in the UK. And I am the uh, head of a research lab that is developing all sorts of research into applying technology in music. And as you know, one of the strands that we are very strongly developing at the moment is looking into how quantum computers may be useful for musicians. Computers have been used in music for a long time, since the 1950s, really, when uh, the beginning of computer science development. Uh, at the beginning of that, you know, composers were already working in, in these um, uh, labs, you know, making, making sounds. And today, if, if you see, you know, the, the music industry uses computer um, intensively. So you cannot think of music without the participation of a computer at some, you know, at some point. So with this in mind, uh, and as I am interested in developing technologies for music, uh, I think quantum computing comes as a natural progression uh, in these developments, um, especially in terms of developing new kinds of musical instruments, new kinds of systems that may offer musicians new ways of, of making music. So what does music created with quantum technology actually sound like? Eduardo walked me through some of his ongoing experiments. I've been um, developing um, two things, really. One is to see if I can develop new kinds of sound synthesizers using quantum computers. So that would be um, what I would call the musical instrument side of things. And another is to generate um, musical materials 
with quantum computers from algorithms that are inherently quantum, which would then produce patterns that I can use for my compositions. So the, this first example um, I'll play to you, you can hear here um, a synthesizer that my team and I programmed. I'm not going to the details of the technology, but basically this is a what is called a photonic synthesizer. You know, it's a photonic quantum computer, which I convert the, um, the photonic processing into, into sounds. Photonics is the science of light and technology. So you just heard the light technology converted into sound by a quantum computer. And the other kind of, uh, of example I, I, can, I can play to you is here I programmed the, uh, the machine with um, what is known as quantum cellular automata. So a cellular automata in general is, you know, th these are kinds of algorithms that generate patterns. And usually these patterns uh, generate quite beautiful visual, um, uh, you know, animations on the computer screen. I produced an algorithm that converts those patterns into, into musical sequences. And the musical sequences that I can produce with the quantum cellular automata algorithm are quite compelling um, for me because these are things that I would not have been able to, to compose manually, so to speak. So let's listen to this example. Of course, as a composer, what I would do now with these materials, I would put them into the uh, in my production software in the studio, and I would work with this and combine with other things and perhaps convert this into some sort of musical notation, which I could then write this for an actual group of, of musicians to play. So these are you know the, these are the two sides of my. Uh, of my investigation into programming these machines to compose. One is to, to, to generate sound as if it was a musical instrument, so I can play them as if I were playing a musical instrument. And the other is to generate patterns of musical materials that I can insert in my compositions. In other words, Eduardo is doing two different things with quantum. First, He's using quantum computers to essentially make new instruments. Instead of recording the sounds of a drum or a violin, he recorded the sound of light processing. He could then input those sounds into a music production software and use them over and over again in different combinations to make a song, just like producers usually do with more traditional instrumental sounds. The second example almost goes the opposite way. He uses quantum computers to create a unique pattern in sound. If he converts that pattern into musical notation, it can be played by traditional instruments, but it will still sound unique because the traditional instruments are playing a pattern of sounds that Eduardo couldn't have imagined without the quantum computer. So in, in, in the first instance, 
Actually, when I say control as a musical instrument, I want to have a, some sort of interface that I can actually play that in real time. Of course, nowadays, because um, quantum computers are only accessible through the cloud, so it takes me a while to get the results back because there is the, uh, the, you know, the, the internet connection that are you know, sometimes the, uh, the jobs, so to speak, stay in a queue to be processed and so on. But in the future, I believe that these connections will be you know, almost instantaneously. If, you know, perhaps I may have a desktop quantum computer, I don't know. I'm gearing towards a situation where I can input and get results almost instantaneously from these machines. And then I'll be able to play them as they were musical instruments. So here I'm going to, to show you a compositional process. I will show you how I produced some sounds from, um, from quantum processes, how I transformed these outputs into some sort of musical dotation to generate orchestrations for, for an orchestra, and then how I may be able to combine synthesized sounds from the machine with sounds played by, by an orchestra and so on. So if we listen to the first example here. Okay, so the, this example was synthesized from what we call uh, quantum states. So when you program a quantum computer, you have the qubits down there, which is the equivalent of the, of the bits of, of a digital computer, but qubits can represent information in, in more sophisticated ways. Let's put it this way. So when I manipulate qubits, these qubits get into a state that's called um, now, a state of superposition. And, and many qubits uh, interacting in superposition create what is called a quantum state. And that quantum state can be represented in the form of uh, what's called a wave function. So what I'm, I'm doing here, I extract the information from this wave function in a, in a simulation. Okay? I simulated these quantum states. I sonified them. I transformed those numbers in the wave function into sounds. So this is what you heard, okay? You heard this synthesized sound. So this is, I'm listening to a quantum state, basically, metaphorically speaking. Now, what I do then, I go to the studio, I take this sound to the studio, I analyze the sound, and I, I look into the, the components of the sound, which are the, uh, what's called the partials of this complex sound. And I, I have a, a method where I convert these partials into um, what could be um, notes for musical instruments. The objective is, if I have a group of musical instruments, what would I have to do with these instruments in order to produce a sound that would imitate that synthesized sound, if you see what I mean? So it is as you know, metaphorically you say, okay, I want an orchestra to imitate a cat or, or a meow or a, or a dog or, or something like that, right? So what I'm doing here, I say, what I have to do with an orchestra 
in order to imitate the sound that was produced by this quantum state. Okay? And so this is the result. So these are, these are real instruments. So I, I wrote uh, the notes on, on a musical score, and then I got the, uh, the orchestra to play those notes. So now with these two elements, you can start composing. So um, if you hear uh, this example here now, combination one, in this example, you hear these both worlds together. So the orchestra is playing, alongside the recording of what it is trying to imitate. There is a beauty to this sound to my ears because it is almost as if, as a composer, I am expanding the sonority of the orchestra, right? But it's not an expansion with any sort of sound. It's actually a sound that was used to, you know, that I asked the orchestra to imitate. And then what I'm doing now, I'm just turning things upside down. Okay, now you've got the artificial thing and you've got the natural thing. Put this together and you've got this beautiful, to my ears, you know, sound that you cannot find this anywhere else. And I would never, ever been able to imagine the composition of this sonority that you just heard if it was not for the work that I'm doing with the quantum computer. So this is what I mean. What can this technology bring to composition? to ideas and to approaches to making music. Composers have been doing something similar for centuries. There are countless classical pieces that imitate thunder or animals or the sounds of battle. Composers have even tried to turn the movements of nature into musical notation, like the famous Flight of the Bumblebee by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov who tried to capture in orchestral sound the erratic flight of a hive of bees. What Eduardo is doing is in the same tradition, but instead of imitating bees or a rainstorm, he's able to access sounds and patterns that we aren't able to observe and hear with our ears alone. What I'm doing is tradition, you know, we are continuing the tradition. As the world evolves, you know, technology evolves, and our approach to create things also evolves. So, you know, the process fundamentally is exactly what you described. But now we've got new technologies, we have new instruments, and it's only natural that creative people will try to explore this. And, you know, I... I believe that uh, you know I may be breaking you know new ways here, you know some breakthroughs with the exploration and so on. I'm lucky that I've got the knowledge that I can access this technology now. I can program these things, but as we evolve, as you know, you know science and technology evolves, 
all these tools will become more affordable, will become more available, and musicians will start to, you know start using it. Um, I'm kind of being pioneering this this sort of stuff, but you know the, it's going to be widely accessible, and I hope that what I'm doing will inform how these uh, uh, these approaches evolve, and hopefully. Uh, I may be able to interact with the quantum industry and and suggest uh, things that you know. Look, this is how we may would like to use this. Uh, perhaps uh, you could provide such and such in this um, in in these programming languages or or interfaces that would uh, enable us to be uh, to be more creative. Thanks for listening to Talking Culture, a Futures podcast, a production of the Goethe Institute London. Our guests on this episode were Emily Harworth, Lucy Rose Sollett and Eduardo Miranda. To learn more about quantum and the arts, check out the website and events scheduled for Living in a Quantum State, the Goethe Institute's season of programming on all things quantum. You can find all the details at goethe.de forward slash quantum or find the project on Instagram using the handle at living in a quantum state. The Goethe Institute is the cultural institution of the Federal Republic of Germany. We offer international cultural exchange and enable cultural involvement in over 100 countries worldwide. In London, we offer German language courses, cultural programs, events, literature, and much more both in our institute on Exhibition Road and online. To find out more, visit our website, goethe.de forward slash London. For this episode, we worked with Better Lemon Creative Audio. I've been your host, Lucy Rowan.